So um, we're continuing that series. We've been in the series for a while. This is like a long one, but it's so important. We're talking about the basics of Christianity. You know, like what does it actually mean in my life to follow Jesus? Like we talk about really cool things on Wednesday or whatever, but how does that transfer into Thursday? You know, what does that look like in my, in my week, during my day? How do I live this stuff out of school? So we're talking about the basics of Christianity. We started by talking about worship, because I think that's something that's just so, so foundational to our relationship with Jesus. How do we worship? Um, we asked three questions. Why, when, and how? And the answers were, why? Because God deserves it, because he created us, he loves us, he deserves our worship. In all circumstances, that's when, no matter if we feel like it or not, we should worship. We said, how do we worship? In spirit and in truth. So we talk about a genuine worship, a focus in our worship, um, because God deserves it. And that's really, uh, that's the basics of worship. Trinity, the Trinity is what we talked about the second week. So God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit, what that means. What are those three things that word Trinity meaning three, one, like it's a, he's a three, one, three persons and one God. And it's very complicated and you'll never quite get it. Um, but that's the Trinity. Then we talked about money. We talked about how God asks for 10%. That's the portion of the money he asks from us, um, to take it to the place, which is the storehouse, the temple, whichever, um, church body is feeding you spiritually where you are being growing in your walk with Jesus. The purpose is because it's all God's. Um, he wants our heart and he gets to our heart. He gets our attention through our wallet. Like that's how we show that we're actually in this. We, we are, we're, uh, that's why God asks for our wallet. And then the plus we talked about speed the light and what, how we can give creatively, uh, raise money for speed the light and that's money. And then last week we talked about basic discipline. And we talked about these three disciplines of being a Christian, prayer, reading the Bible, and maintaining healthy Christian friendships. And we we talk about your 10 and 10, 10 minutes every single day in prayer, 10 minutes every single day uh, reading the Bible or devotional or something like meditating on scripture. Um, And then also just being being a good friend, finding good friends, people that are going to bring you closer to Jesus. Uh, We talked about um, we're all in process. I think that's something that I really took away was that, you know, you gotta, you know, you gotta be a good friend to have good friends, but also like not every Christian is going to be a good friend because we're all imperfect people and we're all, you're not, I heard, uh, an author say his name is Bob Goff. And I heard him say just like yesterday, the day before he said, we're not meeting as we like meet Christians and hang out with other Christ followers. We're not meeting people at the finish line. We're meeting people at the starting line. You know, like this race that we're running in life where we're getting closer and closer to Jesus. We're meeting people at the beginning. So we have to have grace for each other, um, just like you want people to have grace for you when you mess up. All right? The introduction. That's it. Can we wrap that? I feel like I've been talking for 10 hours already because this is a great series full of really, really basic, interesting stuff. This week... um, we're going to talk, and I have a little video to introduce it, but this, this week, we're going to be talking about basic purity. Hey, let's talk about sex. That's right. I said it. Sex. Sex, 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 whoa, sex, whoa, sex. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? I thought I heard the word S-E-X. Yep. Talking about sex. With who? 
hey, hey, no, 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 no. We're not going to be talking about the sex with them. Oh, we're going to talk about sex with them. We can't talk about the sex with them. Okay, why can't we talk about the sex with them? Because as soon as we start talking about the sex with them, they're going to be laughing and giggling and snorting, and then there's going to be that guy in the very back. You know who you are. He's going to be making perverse comments, and not to mention all the texting that will be going on when the sex talk is happening, and you know what texting leads to. Oh, sexting. Dancing. What? I'm just saying, once we start talking about the sex, there'll be fidgeting, there'll be rolling of the eyes, crossing of the arms, and you can just kiss their attention spans goodbye. Why do you say that? Hmm? The attention span and the crossing of the arms. Because once you start talking about the sex, there are words, there are words that just make people feel uncomfortable, right? That is true. Like intercourse, right? Yeah, intercourse. Uh, Let's see, there's relationship, dating, marriage, consummation, procreation, fornication, virgin, virginity, adultery. (laughs) Okay, I am sweating. I just... Yes, the words like that. And not to mention all the phrases. Phrases? Yes, phrases like doing the deed, getting it on, getting jiggy with it. Nope. No. <laughs> no. Nope. Nobody's, nope. yep. nobody's going to say that. all across the world saying nobody says universal. That. I, nobody am an, says that. I am an expert on teen culture. All right, Google it. Just Don't Google that. Google Do it. not what? Google that. What? All I'm saying is once we open the Pandora's box on the sex, then we have to talk about other things like the kissing. Oh, kissing. That's good, yeah. And, and what kind of kissing? Kissing uh, could be uh, the peach kiss. It's like peach, 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 right? And then the prune kiss, like prune, prune kiss, and then you know the alfalfa kiss. Okay. When did fruits and vegetables even become a part of this conversation? And what, what pray tell is an alfalfa kiss? You know, alfalfa. No, no. This is where I draw the line. This is where I put my foot down. Nay, 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 nay. Teenagers, they're already inundated with the sex. I mean, pornography is everywhere. Not to mention the teens that struggle with the self-image selfies, and don't even get me started on the teens that take pictures of only God knows what, and God does know, by the way. I mean, they are taught to be sexy at such a young age. This is an over-sex culture. Give me one good reason, one good reason why we should talk about the sex. You just gave me like five or six good reasons. Oh. Look, sex is God's idea. He created it. He created it for marriage. And in that context, it's a beautiful expression of love. All right. And so I don't think that they're going to be fidgeting and giggling or anything else like that. Are you? I wasn't talking about them. I just, I I can't promise what I would do. Will you try? I will try. Then I'll let you stay here and help me. Okay. I'd be happy to. Great. Great. All right. Let's talk. Let's talk about. <laughs> Let's talk. Let's go. Get get out. You're in a timeout. <clears throat> now. Let's talk about sex. Is that okay? We got the giggles out. We're gonna be grown-ups about this today. None of you are gonna be grown-ups. It's okay. We're going to talk about sex. We're going to talk about purity, about God's design and what he meant in all of that. And um, we're going to use these three questions. So if you're taking notes, listen, you take notes to like pass a history exam. So like if you want to like pass life in a Christian way, take notes in church. Just a thing. Leaders are readers and learners and take notes. So do that. Um, three questions that are going to kind of guide our discussion tonight. What did God create? 
We're going to talk about, you know, God's design for sex and marriage. How should we date? Dating as a Christian teenager, what that means, how we do that. And then why should we wait remaining pure in a sexually saturated culture? So that first question there, what did God create? How did he mean it? Because God created the universe. He created everything good in it. So how, what did he mean? What was his design for sex and sexuality and that kind of stuff? Genesis 2.24, uh, right pretty close to the very beginning in the book of Genesis. Uh, this is how God describes Sex, marriage, this kind of stuff. He says that is why, in reference to marriage, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh, if you know what I'm saying. All right? These are the, this is the basics of marriage and sex. Uh, the man leaves his father and mother. The woman leaves her father and mother. They have a new family, a new priority, and everything changes in, in this marriage world. You'll see in this verse, it says the man is united to his wife. So let's get a big one out of the way first, because I don't know if it's on your mind quite yet, but you're going to think it at some point this evening. So let's address homosexuality. And I think that that's a very uh, interesting topic for you, because my parents, my grandparents, mostly myself, were told my entire life uh, being gay is wrong. Homosexuality is messed up. It's disgusting. It's an abomination. Stay away from it, never talk about it, never think about it, get rid of it completely. Your generation is hearing, and don't let me speak for you. If you think I'm wrong, call me out later. Um, Your generation is hearing from a lot of influential voices, get off their backs. It's different. It's okay. And I think that creates uh, a different, a new thing, a new tension for you as Generation Z growing up in church. When I read the Bible, I'm going to just lay it out how I see it, how our church sees it. When I read the Bible, I read that homosexual behavior is a sin. So I'll show you that. I don't take my word for it. Read it in the Bible. Leviticus 18.22 says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. This is one's often cited. This is like one of the first scriptures that comes up when you Google like scripture against homosexuality. This is one of the first ones that comes up. Um, it's in the Old Testament, which does not make it irrelevant, so don't hear that. Uh, but we need to be care- extra careful when we read Old Testament stuff, because a lot of that stuff only applied to the certain people at a certain time period. In this case, um, we'll go to the New Testament scripture in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10. through 10. I like this one for a couple of reasons. This is uh, a man named Paul. Was God was giving Paul words to write down in a letter to a church in Corinth. And in this letter, he said this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Paul Who are the unrighteous? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This scripture tells me in the New Testament, the New Covenant, after Jesus, that God said homosexuality is not okay. Homosexual behavior is a sin. What I like about this verse is it is included in a list of other sins. 
And so we as Christians, for some reason or another, have taken this one sin and held it up and say, if you do this one, you better feel shame. You better not tell anyone because we will just kick you out and never talk to you again because it makes us very uncomfortable. And that is so wrong. And And the reason I use this scripture and look at this scripture for this is because it's in a list of other sins because there are other ways to be sexually immoral. There are idolatry is like one of the most uh, uh, accepted sins, you know, like we, like Christians all over the world don't even realize it, but they're making an idol out of their bank account or out of their family. They're worshiping, putting more energy and more care into those things than they care into God. Idolatry is everywhere. Um, these other sins, it's in a list of sins. And that tells me that this sin is not worse than other sins. This is not a sin that we turn people away for. This is a sin, but sin is sin just like any other sins. This is another reason I like this scripture. The verse after it. This is 1 Corinthians 6.11. It says, after it gives this list, it says, and such were some of you. He's writing to the church in Corinth. And he says, this list of things that people who will not inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All sinners homosexuals, idolaters, um, adulterers, all thieves, swindlers, all sinners are messed up and destined for hell unless they accept Jesus. And such were some of you and such were me until I accepted Jesus. That's why I like this verse so much because it gives you a whole list, including this one that our culture says is up for debate. It includes this one, but it says... You were messed up too. Don't judge those people on the outside because you were messed up too. So don't forget that. But you were washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of Jesus when you accepted Jesus. That changed everything. We all need to be sanctified by the sacrifice of Jesus. We all need to tell God that we understand that we're a sinner and that we accept his sacrifice to spend eternity with him. We all have to do that. No matter which, what list of sins are in our past and our present, We need to acknowledge that Jesus saves us. And I think this is so important that Christians, and I think that a lot of you get this better than a lot of adults do, um, but I want to say it so that you know we're on the same page. (laughs) Christians need to love people outside the church, all of them. God is for our community. He is for NEPA. And that means we need to be for NEPA. We need to love our community. Um, The Bible tells you to judge yourself. He gives lots of a list of things that you need to take care of inside the church. But as far as people outside the church, he says, you love those people because they're my children too. Don't forget that those are my kids. I love them. So you love them. So you should know that if you are in this room and you have thoughts of homosexuality, you are, you have no reason for shame in this room because we love you the way you are. Um, so if this describes you, you need to know that, that we love you. Um, you also need to know that in this room, you don't need to believe or behave a certain way before you can belong to this family. You need to know that no matter what sin you're struggling with, or if you just aren't buying this Jesus thing, that's okay. <laughs> you can still keep coming. You can still hang out with us because we love you genuinely. We're not waiting for you to to do this certain behavior or believe a certain thing before we accept you. You belong here. Is that okay?
It's getting heavy in here, guys. Help me. (laughs) Is that okay? Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. Awesome. Good. (laughs) All right. This verse, it says, uh, all right, before we move on, one more thing about that that I want to make clear. I I, I wasn't sure if we're going to go there. Um, Homosexual behavior is a sin according to the Bible. What you need to know is that homosexuality, uh, same-sex attraction, is not a sin. Because uh, if you read in the Bible, Jesus was tempted. Jesus went to the desert, and he was tempted to break his fast that he knew God told him to be on a fast. He was tempted to do things that he was, he was tempted to sin. So you need to understand that a person who is, is attracted to someone of the same gender is tempted but temptation in itself is not a sin. So we as Christians, um, we offer solutions to those people and say, maybe you, because you have that struggle, maybe you're going to live your life and never get married and never have sex. And that is okay because people in the Bible did it. Jesus did it. And we need to stop forgetting that that's a thing <laughs> because that happens in our world. And just like you can be born, if you come from a family of alcoholics, in the same way you can be born with a tendency to uh, abuse alcohol, in the same way, um, until you are abusing alcohol, you're not sinning. In the same way, if you are attracted to someone of the same gender, you are not sinning until you act on it. So that's just something I want you to know as as I admit that I process a lot of this stuff, um, I want you to process it too. So I just wanted to lay that out there. All right. Back to this verse. Ba- become one flesh. That means what it sounds like you become one flesh. This is part of God's design to become one, to a, a man and a woman to get married, to leave their families, to make a new family, and become one flesh. Like Adam and Eve in the garden did not invent this sex thing. Right? They didn't just like figure this out. Do, do you know what I'm saying? I feel like I'm the only one in the room. Talk to me, people. Okay, so like God, they didn't just like run off into a bush somewhere and discover sex on their own. Are you with me? God wasn't like walking through the garden and be like, oh my me, <laughs> get away from her. Like this was all part, it was a command. He said, Populate the earth. You have a job to do. Get down to business. It's part of the plan for a man and a woman in the marriage bed. All right? So become one flesh. So let's talk about abstinence. That's one of those words that can like make you feel a little weird. Um, my high school taught abstinence. A lot of them do not anymore. But my high school said, uh, don't have sex until you're married. And that is the right way to do this. Um, God says do not have sex until you're in the commitment of marriage. Make the choice to not have sex until marriage. And I want you to know that there's a reason he says that. Um, Sex is a gift. It's a wonderful thing that God was part of God's plan, is part of God's plan. But he created it to be in the confines of marriage. And there is a reason that he did that, that he says that. And that is because sex creates a bond. When you have this intimate relationship with another human being, you are creating this spiritual bond. Like there is, it's different than anything else. The the bond that's created when you have sex, and I would add that to sexual behavior in general. If anyone told you that the only sin was actual, another word that makes us uncomfortable, intercourse, is the only sin and everything leading up to there is like, okay, I would say that that's not the case. And that all of those things that, and you got to 
pray about it, read the Bible about it, talk to people about it, figure out where your line is. But I would say that a lot of that sexual behavior creates the same bond that intercourse does. And there's a reason that that bond is just for marriage. This bond is so strong that it requires commitment. Sex is a gift that is... um, It's for the marriage bed. It's a special. It's for you and one committed person of the opposite gender. God doesn't make these things up. So his instruction, his instructions all throughout the Bible bring blessedness. That word blessed, blessed, like that means happy. (laughs) Like a, a, a translation that is like a synonym for happy. You will be happy. Your life, things will go well with you. If you obey these commandments, if you live the way God said, because life with God, life God's way is just better than when you tried to do it on your own. God knows that this gift of sex is best enjoyed when you leave it unopened until marriage. Um, these these bonds without commitment, and that's the issue. When you make these bonds with a person and then leave that person, that's when things get messed up. And God knew that. He knew that sex created a special bond. That's why he said marriage only. That's why he said marriage only, because it creates a bond. And when you have sexual uh, when you have a sexual experience, sexual encounters with people, and then leave them, that's when things get twisted. That's when things get messed up. You're going to, and if you, uh, and we'll talk about redemption later, but if you have experienced any of this, you know what I'm talking about. When you have sexual intercourse with a human and then leave that person, something is wrong. You, and you've, even if you haven't experienced it, you've seen the pain of that depicted in a movie or on TV or in a friend's life. Like that, That bond is not meant to be broken. That's why it's meant for the commitment of marriage. We'll come back to that. But just know that God designed sex for a man and his wife, for a woman and her husband after marriage. Great. What did God create? The second question is, how should we date? So we're going to talk through dating as a Christian teenager. Um, if we have to wait until marriage for sex, how do we get to marriage? What does that lead up look like? And if your parents ask you what I said, you tell them I said, don't. Easy, so fast, just don't date. Perfect. And uh, I am joking, but only like a tiny bit. I do believe, <clears throat> especially if you're in here and you're like in middle school, um, you're going to have crushes, like that's natural. I encourage you to hang out in groups. Please don't be alone. It's just a recipe for disaster, especially in middle school. But I'd suggest even in high school, don't mess with that. You're going to have crushes. You're going to feel that way about people. You're going to hang out in groups. I encourage you not to get alone in those situations. If you do date, if that does happen, I want to give you some guidelines. First of all, um, the myth of the one, because that's what the books tell us, right? That's what the movie says. He wasn't the one. Like, guys, I just, I just feel like she wasn't the one. What did Ted Mosby say? Like, I feel like there were many ones <laughs> or something like that. Like, I want you to know that you are not completed by another person. That's why, that's why I'm bringing this up. There's not one person out there. And listen, If you think of God's will that way, like there's only one person you could have married, there's only one job you could have, there's only one school you could go to, um, that's not what God meant when he talks about his will. Uh, Because if that were the case, people mess up all the time, and somebody 
6,000 years ago would have messed up their will, and yours never would have even had the opportunity to happen. So don't think of God's will that way. Don't think about there's this one person that you need to find to be complete. God is what completes you. God is who you need to look for to, to fill that void. Because people, they call that the God-shaped hole in your heart. People try to fill that with all kinds of things. They, they get high or drunk or uh, they fill it with food or they fill it with relationships and, and sexual encounters. Um, that, can only, that, that void in your heart can only be filled by God. If you're looking for someone to complete you, you're not ready to date. If you're looking for someone to complete you, you're not ready to date. The one is a myth. All right, here's another principle. 2 Corinthians 6.14 is where this comes from. Uh, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. We talked about this last week, right? For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Easy. Don't date non-Christians. We talked about this last week with friends. Like, you need to be careful who you spend the most time with in your life. You're not never going to talk to non-Christians. But be careful about who you spend the most time with in your life. Because you need to spend your most time with people who are going to make you better, who are going to make you more like Jesus. And that's the same in your dating. Do not date, and this is like a blanket one though, don't date any non-Christians because uh, it's way easier to pull someone down than it is to pull someone up. There's like this whole movement. When I was in high school, it was called missionary dating. <laughs> and you're like, I found the one, wrong, and uh, he's not a Christian, but I believe that if we start dating, he will come to church with me and get saved, and we will live a happy Christian life forever. Maybe, but that's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen is he's going to come to church, so you'll do stuff with him after church. That's just all I'm saying. That's what what happens. Don't do that. That's not God's design. Do not be yoked with non-believers. You guys need to lighten up. It's okay. All right? Loosen up. It's not that weird. I'll show the video again. I will. (laughs) All right. So that's easy. Who do we not date? Don't look for the one. Don't date non-Christians. Look for people who are going to make you better. So who do we look for? What do we look for in uh, a person that we would want to date? This is something you need to look at. We've already ruled out non-Christians. That's like a large portion of the world. (laughs) So like, Know that you're special and that you don't need to settle for any of, like, don't compromise any of these things. That's a side note. All right. Who do we look for? Who do we consider for dating? Got to be a Christian, all right? Look for someone with a, uh, who is spiritually strong. Um, I've heard it like this. Don't even think about dating, especially in middle school or high school. Don't even think about it. Run toward God with everything you have in you. That's how you get ready to be a good spouse. You run toward Jesus. All right, maybe you're a senior in high school, maybe you're in college, you're running toward Jesus, and you like turn your head a little bit, and there's somebody there right there who's also running. You're like, hey, what's up? Right? And so you're running toward Jesus, but then you like maybe run a little closer to that person, right? <laughs> That's what Christian dating looks like. That's how I read it in the Bible, knowing what I know about Jesus. That is how he wants us to do this. Run toward him with everything you have in you. And if somebody good looking pulls up next to you, then maybe you can start to spend a little more time together. What you cannot do in that race is sit down and look at each other. 
That is the worst mistake you can make. People do it all the time. Do not sit down. Do not slow down. You keep running toward Jesus. Maybe look their way a couple times. And if you get married, you just like tie your legs together. And then it's a three-legged race toward Jesus. That's how that metaphor plays out. Run toward God and look for someone next to you. Do not look for the person with the coolest clothes or the hottest bod. Do not look for the person who laughs at your jokes, who just makes you feel good. Do not look for those things because they are fleeting. They will make you worse if you're not careful. Look for the person who's running toward Jesus as fast as you are. Look for character. Look for integrity. Look for honesty. Look for someone who serves and helps the people around them. Those are the qualities uh, of a person who is ready (laughs) to date. When you have your character, your integrity, honesty, and servanthood down because you've been running toward Jesus, that's maybe when you can start considering to date. And that brings me to this next idea. Be the right person first, right? Don't start looking for the right person if you wouldn't date you. Because <laughs> guess what? A lot of you wouldn't date you. <laughs> no, no offense. No one specific. But just think about it. Would I date me? Especially considering all these things, like all these criteria. Like, Am I running toward Jesus fast enough for me to date me? Ask that question of yourself. Here's the last idea here when you're dating as a Christian. It's so, so important. As you date, this is like we're talking about like physical interaction and when when it's heating up, right? And it feels like oh, this is the time where we start to touch each other. Halt, because listen to this. As you date, treat the person you're dating as you would want someone to treat your future spouse. Treat that person you're dating as you would want someone to treat your future spouse. Because here's the deal. In high school and middle school, there's no commitment. You didn't put a ring on it yet. So there's no commitment. So that probably means they are not the one you're going to end up marrying. And listen, I understand high school sweethearts happen. Um, I married my wife. We were dating when I was a sophomore in high school. But here's the thing. Just about 2% of successful marriages are high school sweethearts. So that means one out of every 50 people will be that. There is under 50 people in this room, and you have two in this room. Your chances have plummeted for that to happen. So sorry, folks. It's not going to be you. So there's no commitment it's, you're not going to marry that person that you're dating. So that means that you are almost definitely dating someone else's future spouse. And that means that someone else is almost definitely dating your future spouse. Right? Don't you want to beat that person up? <laughs> so listen. So listen. Treat the person that you're dating as you would want someone to treat your future spouse. Does that make sense? Does that make sense yet? Because I'll talk about it more. (laughs) It doesn't make sense yet. All right, listen. It makes sense. I'll go. Treat someone, treat the person you're dating as you would want someone. You wouldn't want to find out from your spouse that some other guy was touching him up and down. So don't treat your, the person you're dating that way. Treat them the way you would want someone else 
to treat your future spouse. And this is crazy. Like if you actually apply this to your life, it will change the way you date entirely. So I encourage you to hang on to that idea. All right. What did God create? How should we date? The third question is, the last question is, why, why should we wait? If we talked about sex and it's so good, why should we wait? As Christians, how do we do this? How do we remain pure in a sexually saturated culture? And let me just give you some scripture right off the bat. First Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. This is, again is a letter to a church in a, in a city called Thessalonica. So it's, uh, it's God's will. This is verse, chapter 4, verse 3 through 5. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should be, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Not like this culture around us. Do it as it has been prescribed to you. And when you see that sexually immoral, like sexual immorality, that phrase is all over the Bible. And what that means is anything that is outside this, the parameters we got at the beginning, man and a woman in the marriage bed, that is where sex happens. Anything else, the Bible will list it in other areas, homosexuality, um, outside of marriage, incest, bestiality, anything else sexual that happens outside of the marriage bed between a man and a woman, that is sexual immorality. So that's when you see that phrase, that's what it means. Here's another, uh, set of verses from another letter to the church in Corinth. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. All right, first reason to wait. Why should we wait? For the Bible tells me so. And again, we talked about how he knows better. Like he has reasons. And have you ever just like asked your mom, like, but why? And they're like, because I told you so. Like sometimes they're just being a jerk, but God is perfect. And so he's never being a jerk. So sometimes when they say that, it's because they just have reasons that you're not going to understand. And God is the same way. He has these instructions laid out, and he has reasons that sometimes we're just not going to understand. I I mean, I'm doing my best to help you understand some of them, but sometimes we're just not going to understand them. So he just knows better. Here's a, a quote I heard in college. God's will, what God's designed for your life, the way he instructs your life, God's will is exactly what you would want if you knew all the facts. If you knew everything like God does, God's will is what you, the same thing you would want. He wants the best for you. It's interesting here that Paul calls sexual sin different than other sins. And I want to point out that it's not worse than other sins, but it is more damaging than other sins. Because we have these bonds being broken that we are sinning against our own body. That's why this stuff feels so uncomfortable. That's why, that's even to the point of like the giggling and stuff, like that's why this happens. Because <laughs> this topic is special and it needs to be taken especially good care of. It's different than other sins. It's not worse, but it has the potential for more damage. This is a message, this Christian view of sexuality uh, and relationships and dating is a 
different view than much of the culture. We discussed that at the beginning with uh, homosexuality. But the culture, our culture typically says, and I don't mean to generalize, but typically our culture is saying sex is, sex is casual, sex is okay, it's not a big deal, it'll change your status in your school. Uh, it's the next step in your relationship. It's expected in your dating relationship. Um, I want you to know that that's similar to the church in Corinth. The culture around the church in Corinth was sexually saturated. It was, um, people say like, we are living in the worst times ever. Like, I don't know guys, like the sex, uh, in our culture is similar to that of Corinth. Probably not quite as bad because they're, they were like really abusing sexuality. We are as well, but not to the same degree. So, so our culture says it's okay. It's going to change your status. It's going to make you cooler. It's what you do. That's like a huge thing. It's just what you do. Um, it's what you do to, to keep him from leaving. Or it's what you do. It's what you want from her. It's the ultimate goal for what you want from her. That's what our culture, that's what the culture has taught me. It, it, the, the, God says, the Bible says something different. It says sex is for marriage. Sex is a big deal. That's like a huge part of this. Sex is a big deal. Um, it's, it creates emotional bonds, spiritual bonds, that when you mess with it, it's like fire. Have you ever heard this analogy? Like fire is a great thing in a fireplace. Sex is a great thing when it's done God's way, when it's in the package it's supposed to. Fire is great in a fireplace. But when it exits the fireplace, It'll burn down the house. Destruction, chaos, damage happens when it's not used the way it's supposed to be. God's will is exactly what you would want if you knew all the facts. Again, God is not this evil dictator who's making, he's making guidelines to have, to let you have a better life, to help you figure out life. There are consequences to sex outside of marriage. Uh, There, you'll, you're in health class and probably see pictures you didn't want to see uh, about STDs. Um, there is unplanned pregnancy. I would never say a child is a sin or a consequence, but that can mess up your life if you do it in the wrong context. God has a plan for that stuff, and it is not that. Uh, again, this emotional bonds without commitment. It messes it up. It's not how God intended it. And when you take it outside of of marriage, when you take it out of the fireplace, sex is used to manipulate. It's used to uh, take advantage of people. It's used as a weapon. Just look at the news. People of power all over our world are abusing sex. Uh, politics uh, in Hollywood, it's, it's all over the place with powerful Hollywood people are abusing, manipulating people through sex. Pastors, I hate to admit it, but people of power in all walks of life are using sex to manipulate people. And that is what happens when you take it outside of the way that God intended it. God's way is just better. Life lived God's way is just better. So practically, I want to give you some tips. How, how do you stay pure while dating as a Christian teenager? Again, I'd suggest you just don't. Um, but this, here's some, uh, some guidelines that would make it a little better with your, the person that you're running toward Jesus with, take a minute. Don't start running towards Jesus. We're stepping out of the metaphor. Take a minute and, and make sure that you have the same standards. Don't compromise for him or her. Um, make sure that you're on the same page that listen, just so you know, I'm saving sex and all of its 
similar things for marriage. Maybe you say, I'm not even going to kiss you. <laughs> if that's, if that's not, not okay with you, I'll see you later. But you need to make sure that you're on the same page. Some people will not kiss their mate until marriage. They will not kiss the person they're dating. I think that's a very admirable thing. I don't think it's a sin to do that, to kiss the person you're dating. But if you don't, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Leslie and Derek, am I correct? Did not kiss until their wedding day. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> Listen. Get on the same page with the person you're dating. Do not compromise. None of these strategies will work if you have not decided this at the beginning. None of this is going to matter if in his head the whole time he has this goal of the bedroom or this whole time she has this goal of the bedroom. It's not going to matter if you're not on the same page at the beginning. Decide. Write it down somewhere. Like, Don't think about it in your head. Decide before you get in the situation, before you're in the dark living room alone, Figure out where your line is. Pray about that. Talk to somebody you trust about that. All right, go out in groups. Don't just don't be alone and and put yourself in a situation. Listen, you cannot get to know each other in a dark movie theater. Like whoever said movies was a great first date. Like why? Like just don't do that because you why why would you go to get to know someone at a place where you get shushed for talking? Just doesn't make sense. Don't go into a dark movie theater. Hang out in groups. Um, I'd suggest do not turn off the lights. Do not close the door. Do not uh, go upstairs where no other parent is on the floor or downstairs where no other parent is on the floor. Do not be in a house alone. Why would you put yourself in that situation? If your goal is to be pure and avoid temptation, do not put yourself in a situation where you need to see how strong you are. That's not strength. <laughs> That's foolishness. <laughs> That's stupid. <laughs> Do not put yourself in a situation where you need to see how strong you are. So don't hang out alone. Don't hang out like after your parents go to bed. My youth pastor said, used to say like, nothing good happens after eight o'clock. Was it eight o'clock? Nine o'clock. Nothing good happens after nine o'clock. And I was like, okay. <laughs> but for real, like once your parents go to bed, some of your parents are going to be cool with that. Some of your parents are very much not and like will not even let a boy come to your house. <laughs> but some of your parents are going to be totally cool with letting you do whatever you want. Even if it needs to be your standard, make these your standards, please. All right? Don't go out alone. Don't hang out if your parents go to bed. Uh, just don't put yourself in that situation. Here's the bottom line. Adjust your environment. If your goal is to not have sex until marriage, don't put yourself in a situation where you could have sex before marriage. Don't be in that dark basement. Don't take him up to your bedroom. Do not take her out in your car and park somewhere. Don't put yourself in a situation where you have to test your strength, all right? Um, beyond sex with a partner, there, there's another element here, and that it, pornography is a huge issue I just want to touch on for a minute. We've been talking about purity in your body, but purity of the mind is also so, so important. And, and I'm running out of time, but like this is so important. Pornography warps the way you are viewing other humans, Pornography, if you're not familiar, I can't imagine you're not, because you're all old enough to understand what that means, but when you're looking at images or videos of other people engaging in sexual acts, you should know that uh, the average age for a boy to be exposed to pornography is 11 years old. So, like, if you're in this room, you are older than that. <laughs> um, and the girls, the age is, is like, well, is, is coming down, and pornography among girls is going up. Uh, 
it's it's huge in our culture. And again, this is another thing that our culture maybe doesn't address as much, but is comfortable sweeping under the rug, is comfortable saying, do what you do in the privacy of your home. Uh, and that's, pornography uh, skews how God designed sex. It creates a view of sex for you that is not what God intended, and that's why it's wrong. Lust is a very serious thing, uh, and, and that's defined, lust is maybe a churchy word, but it's just sexual thoughts when you're thinking about sexual things. Um, pornography addictions are so huge. Basically, so many men that I've talked to have, have said that's a part of their story, a time in their life where they were addicted to pornography. And there are things associated with pornography use. Um, again, God knows what he's talking about. <laughs> and this kind of stuff will damage you. It's associated with depression and uh, this addiction, this like a lifestyle centered around the way that you use your computer. And again, this is huge. It, it will skew the way you view other human beings. Um, because... People are not objects for you to get this sexual tension relieved. People are humans that God cares about. And when you abuse pornography, it messes up the way you view human beings. Look at this verse, uh, Matthew 5, 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now you may have heard this verse before and like, that sounds pretty serious, right? Like I've done the same thing as committing adultery and it is very serious. All sin is very serious. Um, we've talked before about when you read a verse, don't just like pick and choose verses, like keep reading around. Um, Cause that's going to help you understand the verse. This next verse is an exaggeration. So read uh, Matthew five twenty nine says, if you're, this is the next verse. If your uh, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. And throw it away. God doesn't want us to take that literally. Like there are not like spoons at the altar for you to take care of that. This isn't exact. Does that noise freak you out? Um, <laughs> this was not meant to be taken ser- uh, literally. It's meant to be taken seriously. The 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 um, the the message here is it's an exaggeration to point out that if you do these things, if you do have a pattern of lust in your head, if your uh, right eye does cause you to stumble, you are on a bad path. You are headed for something even worse than what you're doing. It is sin. Lust is sin. But you are headed for something even worse. So when it says pop your eye out, that's kind of where I get the change your atmosphere, change your environment. Because if you pop your eye out, you can't Sin with your eyes. Problem fixed. So if you are never alone with your, your person you're dating, you can never sin sexually. That's how you work. That's, that's how we get that interpretation. So keep your thoughts pure. Porn is just so easy to get. And you need to be aware of this. I, I know you're aware of it, but um, almost everybody has a computer in their pocket, right? You have a smartphone, you have Google, then you have access. Uh, and I'm not teaching you that. Everybody knows this. It's a sexualized culture. Um, like from movies, TV shows, billboards, if you like snipe, swipe the wrong way on Snapchat, it gets dicey, right? Um, it's everywhere. But I heard a pastor say this just today. Just because it's common doesn't mean it's normal. 
Just because it's everywhere doesn't mean that it's okay for us as Christians. Steve Dufresne is the guy who said that. Just because it's common doesn't mean it's normal. Somebody else might have said it too, but that's who I heard say it. So it's important to protect ourselves. So how do we do that? We talked about how to stay pure with a sexual uh, with, a, with a significant other. But maybe your struggle is when you're alone uh, because porn addiction is just so, so prominent. And that starts with a commitment to purity. Again, adjust your environment. Take the computer. If you have a computer in your room, your parents would be blown away if you brought it into the living room. <laughs> it would just blow their minds. Um, if you just stayed off your phone in your bedroom, if you have to do that to make this purity thing happen, do that. There are apps and programs for blocking things on your phone that could make you stumble, that could send you down a wrong path. Uh, parental restrictions on your phone make that a little easier. Uh, if you want someone to help you with that, let me know. I'd love, or, or a leader of the same gender would love to help you um, do that. You can give the password to a friend, like I said, to me or your small group leader, to a parent. Um, and that may sound drastic, but I think sin is serious. And desperate times call for desperate measures. So get serious about the issue uh, to be pure because it's so important. If you could put a little music on there, uh, I understand it's a little bit later. So apologize to your parents on my behalf. Um, Christians in a sexually saturated culture, we have to be careful. We have to be so careful, take this so serious, this matter of purity. Uh, it, it's regular in our culture, but we have to be countercultural. Countercultural. Our culture is different. Just because it's, it's common doesn't mean it's normal and it's not easy and you're going to mess up. And that's the last point that I'd like to make. This stuff is difficult and you're going to mess up. There's, it's so unlikely that you're going to make it to your marriage without ever having an sexual encounter or uh, viewing porn on the internet. And that is not an excuse by any means. But I need you to know that it's so common to mess this stuff up. But you are never too messed up for Jesus. You're ne- you've never gone too far or messed up too much for Jesus. No mistake is too big for the cross. I've heard purity described as a gift um, that says, do not open till marriage. When you compromise that purity, I, I think I've done this in here with a gift. And when you compromise that purity and, and start to dabble a place on the internet where you shouldn't or, or with a significant other that you shouldn't, it's, you're, you're starting to like peel the paper back a little. You're starting to take peeks um, into this box. When Jesus comes into your life, the Bible describes it as a rebirth, as you're becoming a new creation. And so you rip those rips right off and you are repackaged. <laughs> I've heard it called second generation virginity. Even if you've messed up, you are never too messed up for the cross. You're never too messed up for Jesus. Second Corinthians 5.17 It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. There's no mistake too big for the cross. So when you ask for forgiveness, you are forgiven. 
That's how it works. When you ask for forgiveness, you are forgiven. You have redemption. You get this do-over, the second generation, the second chance when you ask for forgiveness. Commit to get better at it. Take action. Do the things in your life that you need to do to get better at this stuff. You are not too far gone for Jesus or for the cross. We're not going to do small groups tonight, but I encourage you, if you are struggling with anything we mentioned tonight, whether it's a porn addiction, a a relationship where you are physically doing something you shouldn't, or sending a picture that you shouldn't, or receiving pictures that you shouldn't, um, if you are being sexually harassed, none of that is right. None of that is the way God intended it. That falls just as out of the fireplace as any of these other things do. And you need to tell somebody about that. If you're struggling with same-sex attraction and you're wondering what that means because I believe in God, but I'm still struggling with this and the Bible tells me it's wrong and how can I be made wrong? Please do not leave without asking somebody a question. Do not leave without talking to a small group leader, your small group leader, uh, someone of the same gender about this stuff. Text them later if you have to, whatever you got to do to make these conversations happen because you, you shouldn't do this alone. You weren't meant to do this alone. We're meant to process this stuff together to help each other. The Bible tells us to admit our sins to one another. <laughs> to admit our sins to the people around us. Not everybody's going to know every sin. But if you're dealing with something, don't try to get over it alone. Don't try to fix it yourself. Bring somebody in that you trust and say, hey, I need help. There's a great chance they'll say, I need help as well. <laughs> so take this stuff seriously. That's why we're talking about it. Please ask somebody a question. Talk to somebody if you need to. They'd love to pray with you, give you advice. Um, Whatever needs to happen, they'll help you get the next step, all right? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word, for how it guides our lives and our our discussions on these sensitive topics. God, I thank you for, for sex, for your design, for marriage, and your guidance in this book. Your guidance for how to do it well, to do it right. Because when we do it the way you suggested, life is better. Life lived your way is just better. So help us to stay, uh, to care about that, to care what your word says about this stuff. Help us to commit to doing that. God, and if there's a person in this room that uh, has made a mistake, God, show them your love, God wash over them with your love so that they know that you have not forgotten about them because they messed up. You have not turned away from them because they've fallen. God, that when they repent, when they say, I'm sorry, help me to do it better, that you listen and you rewrap that package, that you can start, that you are redeemed, that they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. God, help us to accept that truth. Help us to feel your love in those situations, God. I thank you for these teenagers that have a purpose and that if they um, look for your way, that if they live your way, they're going to make such a huge difference in this world for you, Father. I thank you. I count it a privilege to talk to them tonight and I, uh, I pray that you just Help them to hear what they needed to hear tonight, God. We love you. We worship you. And it's all about you, God. I pray that none in here are going to walk out without looking a little bit more like you tonight. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. 
please ask, ask a question of your small group leader, and we will see you next week.